Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 84 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate Universe, which has returned to Sci-Fi Channel here in the United States, and Space up in Canada. And Space is also the title of the episode that we're talking about this week, the mid-season premiere, episode 11 of SGU. What a cool, cool episode this was. It was. This is the big question, isn't it? For every, for you and me and for everybody, did it live up to the expectations? Because the expectations were set so high. We've been hearing a lot about this episode coming, you know, there's going to be aliens, there's going to be cool stuff, you know, this is a big payoff episode in a lot of ways, and I'm looking forward to discussing it. I think it definitely met my expectations, but we'll talk about it in a few minutes. There's lots of stuff going on on Gate World. We're doing uh, episode coverage all week long. We've uh, we've got transcripts and summaries and uh, screen cap galleries for the new stuff as it airs on Sci-Fi, all that good stuff. But, um, David, you want to talk about this editorial that I wrote last week. I did. I wanted to talk about that with you. You sent me a draft of this about a week before. You know, I've always looked at uh, at GateWorld as a partnership between the two of us for a long time, and um, I, I think that you do as well. But there are some things mm-hmm. that uh, that have to happen regardless, and that you just contact me and say, here's what we're doing, and I say, okay. Uh, this was definitely one of those things. And i got to say I have mixed feelings about it, but I am on board with you because I think it's important. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it too. Exactly. But I'm on board with me. It's an interesting direction to take uh, for the site, but I think it's an important one because now people have had their say, and it's important for us to to have the site proceed in a direction that we feel uh, is important to keeping it alive. Yeah, keeping um, it fun for uh, for not just me, for, but for both of us to do. Exactly. Uh, and, and for everybody else who volunteers uh, putting in time on this site, you know, all of our moderators on the forum need to be sane and happy. And uh, Chad and Callie and Sharon and everybody else who contributes on the main site, we, we do this out of love for the show. So you've built this up now. A, a lot of people, I think, who are listening probably haven't read it yet. Yeah, on iTunes, they're like, what the hell's going on? Tell them what the hell we're talking about. Um, the uh, I wrote an editor's column on Friday called – it's our new our new Friday column is called For Crying Out Loud. <laughs> and this this last week is You've Had Your Say, which is uh, basically the, the decision is I've been been running for a couple of years now as fandom has gotten – in my opinion, uh, nastier and nastier. Things were fine in fandom, I think, with two shows because Atlantis and SG-1 ran at the same time for three years. So there was not a division between SG-1 fans and Atlantis fans. Yeah. Um, we sort of all jumped on board Atlantis and enjoyed both shows together. SGU comes along and it starts to feel a lot more like Star Trek, which has five series. And you've got people who are Voyager fans who don't really like DS9 and people who think DS9 is the best incarnation of of Star Trek ever, and there's, uh, you know, little squabbles and little wars, and I think that the, the Stargate fandom is reaching a point now where, where there are factions and fragmenting that is leading to some, some just outright hostility. And that's just the way it is. Never in the line of Star Trek did one show get killed, quote-unquote, prematurely, and then a couple days later 
have the announcement, hey, we've got something new for you. Yeah, you that's know? true. I mean, that's that essentially was... what it felt like for a lot of people. That was the decision that the Sci-Fi and MGM made when they announced SGU was they announced the cancellation of Atlantis with a press release. And then 24 hours later, they announced SGU. So it really felt to a lot of people like their show was being canned and replaced mm-hmm. for the new the new toy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, for a couple of years now, things have just been getting worse and worse on the site. People are just, uh, you know, th- some, some stuff just gets nasty. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of things that you see on the site, you see it after I've already cleaned it up as a moderator, mm-hmm. after I've already deleted the really bad stuff and edited out some of the really bad comments uh, and and moderated and banned some people. So um, it's kind of made the site not really very fun. And I've found increasingly over the course of the last six months to a year that I sometimes don't even really like working on my own site anymore. I don't like going to my own site anymore. So this is an attempt to, to dial up the moderation, to enforce our community vision and, uh, make make Gateworld hopefully a fun place to play again, a place that, that I want to go, and a yeah. place hopefully that, that other people who we've heard from a ton of people since since I posted this on Friday. Oh, man, said, the comments in that thread. Yeah, I was surprised. I was expecting it to be about 50-50 positive-negative for this decision, and instead it's been like 95% positive because people are saying, you know, I basically wrote off Gateworld. I, I sometimes come here and glance at the news, but I never read comments, and I never participate anymore because it just got so nasty. Yeah. And that's that's what we want to get rid of. I, I've been reading the comments and the uh, in the news thread of uh, you've had your say, and one just one just really really snagged me. You know, talking about uh, you can't run a totalitarian system and then claim you believe in free speech. You know, comparing Gateworld to a totalitarian right. dictatorship where where the uh, locals are harassed and you know they they don't feel like mm-hmm. they can properly live their lives. Kept in line with the point of a game. Yeah, I was thinking about, you know, how absurd that is. Gateworld is not a country. The borders are a click away. You can leave. It'd be one thing if, if you could only go to Gateworld. Then we would have a responsibility, I think. But that is not true at all. You can go somewhere else. You can, and this is something that you and I have talked about behind the scenes, please create your own website where if if your opinions and ideas are are more or less, you know, not the main thing on Gateworld, you create your own website so that other people with like-minded opinions can go there. And, you know, we've seen another website that has recently started that is exactly that. Yeah, some people have, have done that. I don't know about you, but I am delighted that that is out there because it's created a pressure valve for people to go and voice their concerns while not trashing our website. You pay, and to a certain extent I as well, pay the hosting charges for this website and i think if there's anything that is true it is that if you are paying for your home do you not have the right to decide what goes on in that home yeah i think the home metaphor is more apt the moderators on our forum sometimes refer to me as as the benevolent dictator in that i yes i i do have the final call and i do get to make dictatorial decisions as the owner of the site but i'm I'm a nice guy about it and I'll, i'll do my best actually i think uh, sometimes bend over backwards to let you do what you want to do, um, but I think that the the home metaphor is more apt because Gateworld is is our house that we have set up and decorated and we pay to keep it heated, keep the lights on, and it's expensive. And um, people have have given us a huge amount of support 
over the years, and the site would not exist without without all those people. But um, yeah, you don't come into somebody else's house and and kick their dog and and punch their kids in the face and expect that you're going to be able to to do that whenever you want. It we're we're just getting to a real a, a real standoff. I think. I mean, on on both sides, you and I are being pushed, and not everyone knows that. Not everyone everyone sees that. You know, we have we have one side that's saying, you know, Stargate Universe sucks, and you need to allow us to say that Stargate Universe sucks because that's free speech. And on the other side, we're getting, you know, you better like Stargate Universe or else. You know what I'm saying? You getting me? And yeah. and we're getting that and. It's really, really intense. That's what drives me craziest. I mean, that has what I, I'm pretty open, sort of wearing my heart on my sleeve in this in this editorial. Some of it's it's pretty personal. I, I hit a rough patch and I just didn't want to do it anymore. A lot of it comes from that that we're getting it on both sides. I mean, there are a few people out there who can see the position that we are in, trying to keep two sides happy, and it, it's it's virtually impossible. And so I've I've been trying to walk this line between we want to allow free expression, we want to allow free speech as much as we possibly can, but at the same time we want the, the site to be fun. We want people to like coming here. We want people to treat one another with respect. And so we've been trying to walk the line between those two, but inevitably you have to sort of lean one way or the other. And I've always tilted toward free expression, which is why we've allowed so much nastiness is because I've always tilted toward free expression. Well, you're a journalist in the free world. Yeah, journalist in the free world. So now now the time I think has come to, if the site is going to be fun anymore, if it's going to continue to exist to its 11th birthday this October, uh, without me at least walking away from it, then I've, I've got to tilt the other way now. I've got to, I've got to say, okay, you've had your say, all this lead-up time to the premiere of the show, then we wanted you to watch the premiere, see what you think of the show once you've actually seen it, then watch the first half of the season. Now we've had four months to talk about the first half of the season and sort of digest it. So we decided that, that with the premiere of, of uh, the second half of the season, that this was the time to sort of put the mm. foot down. I decided to put my foot down and say, okay, you have had your say. Free expression has ruled the day. Now we're going to play by my rules. And thank God there are other Stargate sites that are popping up now to 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 give a voice to all those people who who don't necessarily feel the same way that Gateworld does. You know, it's it's wrong. It is wrong for Gateworld to be the only site out there. It's an undue responsibility onto us. And I think that other people are are feeling slighted that we don't we don't voice their views. And it is not fair yeah. for for them to not have a voice. I absolutely support other sites, even if I disagree yeah. with them. And allowing people to uh, to voice their complaints is important. And we ran episode very reviews important. for the first half of the season. That and and in in the reviews and here on the podcast, we've tried to be really fair to the show, but also sort of critical. I mean, we're fans. We're not part of the public. Well, we are part of the publicity machine, but we're not. You know, we're not paid by the studio. We're not part of their official mechanism. Mm-mm. But we're fans who who made a site that got really big and popular. But we still want to talk about what we like about the show and what we don't like about the show. And I think mm-hmm. we should be free to do that. But that other side does need to be represented. And the point of this article and the point of this policy change is not to say. Okay, guys, go away now. You can't. You can't say anything negative about SGU anymore. That's exactly the wrong thing to take from this. The point is, if you want to criticize the show, which I encourage you to do, if you have criticisms, you have to do it within the boundaries of tact and respect and decorum that we've tried to lay out. And if you don't do that, 
if you're not tactful and respectful, don't expect that your point of view is going to get out. Gateworld exists for anyone who loves an element of Stargate. No one is asking you to love every element of Stargate. Just because I love most of the elements of Stargate doesn't mean that, that you should. No one is telling you to do that. Yeah, or if you love Atlantis, you know, you gave SGU a try, great, thank you. If you've made your decision about SGU, then move on. Talk about Atlantis. Go talk about SG-1. There's lots of, of threads active in the forum. We do. We still try and cover those other shows as much as possible. Whenever there's movie news, whenever there's actor news, go post in those, in those news story threads if you've made up your mind about SGU. I have a lot of Atlantis content uh, heading your way that, that, I, that I've been tinkering with. You know, the, the Paul McGillian uh, little interview is just, it's just the start of it. We're talking with Kate Hewlett soon. We, we are still representing those other shows. You know, it's not like, well, you know, SGU is the big thing now. Now you really should, uh, you really should ignore those other shows. You know, we've, we've been getting a couple of those comments, and I don't understand that either. Gateworld is not representative of one show. It is representative of the three and the movie and yes, even the animated series, and, you know, that's yeah. that's what we are. It's just that 85% of what's on the homepage right now is SGU, because obviously that's the show that's in production that's airing. and airing right now. That's not our fault. <laughs> so when, whenever we come across SGA stuff and stuff for those actors that, that we still love and want to support their, their careers, then we're going to post it. The main discussion. Our main discussion topic this week is space. The newest episode of Stargate Universe is finally on, aired last Friday on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. And elsewhere in the world, we've been waiting four months-ish to see space. And was it worth the wait? Absolutely, yes. I am very, very pleased to say yes. And I mean, I wish that they would have found a way to air this one before the break, frankly. Yeah, I thought uh, that too. This was a pretty incredible episode. Go ahead, sir. Huge episode. It would have had people talking now, even though there is resolution in this episode, you know, Chloe get, gets lost and then almost immediately found again, not 15 minutes later, um, I still think that this would have been a better episode to to end the season, the, the first half of the season with than Justice. Well, Don't get was... me wrong, Justice was a great show, but this is powerful. Yeah, that was the original plan. Space was going to be the last episode of the fall season. Uh, and then it got bumped into the number 11 slot when they extended Darkness and Light into a two-parter from a, from a single-parter. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this would have been a stronger end. We've, we've had so much conversation in fandom over the course of the last few months since Justice aired in December about the fact that the show has is, is, gotten off to such a slow start and not a whole lot has happened yet. And uh, things kind of started to get going with, with Justice. But this was the big, holy cow, uh, aliens, space battles. This was classic Stargate from top to bottom. This, I think, was Universe's Torment of Tantalus. This was the first big episode that, that seemed to have larger implications for the show's mythology. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, was, it was, I think, the show's... I, I liked time a lot. But this was the show's first outstanding episode, I thought. It had great visual effects. It had great story. The cast... Uh, was pretty well balanced. Um, uh, there's very, very little to take issue with. There are some some astounding visuals in this show. These aliens, the same company who did the prawns in District 9, did uh, this alien race. Hmm. Um, once again, I'm tormented to find the naming convention for these guys. Mm -hmm. um, they just but, get oh well. the aliens. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think my favorite visual effect out of out of everything, uh, besides the aliens themselves, is the pan on Young's face, and they transition from the Destiny flawlessly into the alien craft. Mm, yeah. Really like to know how they did that because just the lighting changes on his face. So I wonder if the if his face was just a separate element, and then they they photographed him on a on a blue screen background, and then just transposed the environments on it because that's a perfect cut. That was cool. Uh, that's at the end of the teaser, and the teaser on this was just incredible. I mean, I as sick as I am of communication stones and going back to Earth yet again, this was just perfect. We some of us have said. Boy, the communication stones have been overplayed. Wouldn't it be nice if they were forced to set them aside for a while? And at the end of the teaser, Young goes to visit Earth by a, via communication stone, and he ends up on an alien ship in just an incredibly horrible situation. I mean, I was wondering at the beginning if he was going to have to spend the entire episode there, basically incognito. Um, mm-hmm. But that didn't turn out to be the case. But what it did was, by the end of the teaser, you know, communication stones are now a huge issue, and and they can't continue to use them as they have been. You know, that's one of the things that I was left with in this episode is, can they get back to Earth at all now? Or every every time that that one of them connects, uh, or if they connect multiple stones, does one of them have to go to this alien ship every time? Mm -hmm. So that's one of those unanswered questions. Uh, but yeah, the alien race is is magnificent. For Stargate aliens, they are very alien. There is no chance whatsoever that these guys have a shared history with the ancients, uh, like no. like just about everybody else in the Stargate universe. Um, yeah. These guys are, I mean, apart from just the visuals, which again is seems to be sort of District Nine inspired, the vocalizations, and then when we connect to their brains and hear the way that they think and the way that they talk and seem to be interrogating. Rush and Chloe, they're just so, so alien. It's not like bumpy-headed uh, humanoids that, mm. that speak English or, or some version of. Which means, alas, they can't get very much screen time. I was surprised that they got as much as they did, frankly. Uh, I was delighted that they, you know, they did use the Kino to, to cut around them in the uh, in the communication stone room, but you do get shots of them in Young's in Young's um, clothes, which was just great. So, so you can really tell that you know the the blending of the effects and, against um, like cost cutting shortcuts, like like using the Kino perspective was perfect. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was done really well, and the editing is really cool in in like the interrogation scenes when they get the alien back the second time. So they've strapped him down to the chair, and Scott is in there trying to ask him questions. And the camera mm-hmm. pans from Scott to the alien and then back really quickly. It yeah. does that a couple times. One time is just a quick shot of, of the alien in profile. And the other one is a little bit longer hold where the alien leans forward and basically yells at him. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> there's just the editing. Just just the fact that you see this glimpse so briefly is it, it's cool. It makes it feel like, like that character is sitting in the room and is not a CG effect that you want to have linger on camera so that you get the full effect of the dollars that you spent. This is the alien race that disconnected from the hull in Air Part 3. That question mm-hmm. has finally been answered. For sure. Uh, but I think it's I think it's pretty evident now from this episode that they were able to land on the ship, but they were never able to get inside. So do you think then that the, the Destiny shield is skin tight so that they could land one of the little ships on the surface of it but not be able to penetrate like they did in this episode? I think that it has skin-tight shields, and I think that it has um, 
because I mean, when Chloe is taken, you know, it the the shield covers up the hole right. afterwards. But also, I think it has some. Um, I think it has uh, another kind of shielding to protect it from like bombardments from asteroids and weapons fire and things like that. Uh, but obviously, it has been weakened in the past because the, the ship is full of holes on it. But you know, every time that there is a hole, the ship covers it. So I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to say. But I, yeah, you know, the if breach. they've been, well, if they've been so interested in destiny, why aren't they all aboard it? You know, they they are continually following it, trying to figure it out. Which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, they know where it is. They they are obviously tracking it. Uh, they were able to find it immediately after one of the aliens popped on board, swapped mm-hmm. places with Young. Uh, they have FTL travel that is not hyperspace, just just mm-hmm. as we theorized, uh, because the one of their ships, the one that we saw detach in Air Part Three, detached while Destiny was in FTL. These guys obviously speak ancient appear to speak English, which freaks the heck out of me. They sent back this one-word reply, surrender, in English, after Eli had told them that they were peaceful humans from Earth. I think that that's because they probed Rush's mind and they, they learned English that way. That makes a lot more sense than, than some sort of connection to, not only to Earth, I mean, that Destiny was, was launched from Earth, so you could theorize that, uh, you know, they, they get a signal from the Destiny, it's an ancient, and they can put the pieces together. But yeah. English, as a as a modern language, is, I think, what, less than a thousand years old in its current form, so... I think it's pretty obvious that they, they probed... Rush said as much, they probed my mind. So, as soon as that word came up on the monitor, it was the first word in English that has ever been displayed on those monitors, and it's surrender. Mm-hmm. That was a great beat. We have so little control over the Destiny right now, the thing is so old and out of shape. I mean, last time we tried to fire the weapons, poor Riley almost died because he was standing in the wrong corridor. Yeah, you just we can't put up a fight as this as this episode demonstrates. And that's a bit of a throwback, as far as I'm concerned, to the siege part two, where the chair is out of drones. You know, I'm I kind of got that vibe from it, where you know we're faced with this advanced uh, this advanced technology, we have it, but it doesn't work. And and I. I dread the day when it finally does because, you know, the shields and weapons like much on Atlantis, you know, were always impenetrable. You know, that shield was when it was fully operational, it was impenetrable. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. fun while these systems are just cattywampus. Uh, This this is really where the adventure is. But you have to keep it cattywampus otherwise we're just invincible. So it's a really fine balance to strike and it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes. I mean, our shuttle wipes all of theirs out and we don't even take a scratch yeah when they sent the shuttle out to fight i was thinking oh boy what the heck's gonna happen yeah now? one against and we 20. just mopped up the floor yeah it took a few hits but uh didn't seem to really really do any damage this is interesting though that you think that the aliens have not been on board the ship because that's something that's stuck with me since air part three when we saw that that somebody has been there before is is keeping tabs on the destiny is why aren't they in there if the ship is valuable to them, why are they not? Why do they not have a presence on it? Poking around in the computer, trying to access the core systems, all the stuff that Rush and and the science team have been doing. Well, that's the only explanation. It's because they can't get in. They couldn't get in. That's interesting. Yeah, we got in through the Stargate, and these this species either hasn't figured out the gates, or doesn't have them, or has never encountered them. So, but they're really interested in this ship, and it's and it's. It's going to be fun to see just where this goes. 
Yeah, and I'm wondering what the technology level is of these guys compared to the Destiny. If they see it as such a plum prize, is it because they recognize its technology as, as so much more valuable? Back to the communication stones before we press onward. The question I have is why did Young connect to this alien this time? We've been using them so much. Going back to Earth, connecting with Telford. And we have established in, in the past of SG-1 in Atlantis the way the communication stones work. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure if it's always entirely consistent, but help me work through this this uh, history. In Citizen Joe in Season 8 of SG-1, uh, the reason why Jack O'Neill and Joe Spencer were were mentally connecting, I mean, they weren't body swapping for sure. But no, the, the because they didn't they have were the connecting control mentally panels, was, I don't think was because they had both had had some sort of physical contact or physical proximity to these two stones, and these two stones were connected to each other. They had the ancient gene. Right, they had the ancient gene, which is why the stones were activated when they touched them. The stones connected to each other. I don't know why specifically that happened. Well, it's the proximity uh, issue that I'm getting to, because I think what is revealed at the end of that episode is... Joe's not connected to Jack when Jack's out having these adventures. He's connected to Jack when Jack is back at the base writing up his report. Mm-hmm. So because he's he's in some sort of of uh, proximity to the stone that's being kept in Daniel's office mm-hmm. or some somewhere on the base. I don't know. So then we get the terminal and have actual body swapping in in uh, Avalon Part Two and Origin. Daniel and mm-hmm. Vala trade bodies with these these two seemingly nobodies. They I think they turn up. They end up involved in the resistance uh, in the Ori home galaxy. You can correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, in that case, those two people did not come into Daniel and and Vala's bodies. And then we saw in Stargate Atlantis in the episode Identity, Neva finds a console on on an alien world in Pegasus and activates it, and then she ends up switching bodies with Jennifer Keller because. Jennifer had had physical proximity to a stone in Janice's laboratory when she went to visit Rodney. So again, it's it's not just random who you get connected with. You're connected with somebody who has has touched one of these stones or is close to a stone or something like that. So mm-hmm. why why does Young end up in this alien's head now and vice versa? It makes me wonder: Were the aliens actually on Destiny? Has this has this alien? encountered an ancient communication stone and touched it recently like like since the last time that somebody went back to earth i see one of two possibilities uh either they have had communication stones uh before which doesn't make very much sense because this is the first time that they've been using them or rush snatched one and when they got him they took it off of him and that alien that same alien who removed it from him activated the stone for itself Oh, that's true. They do have Rush. That's how they... Apparently, it seems to be that's how they know English. Rush is the X Factor. But they may have uh, a set of their own communication stones, too. In in which case, I mean, that, that really deepens the conundrum, you know. Like, can, we ever, can we ever get back to Earth, or are we constantly going to be swapping with these aliens who want to get aboard the ship anyway? Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but the fact of the matter is, that alien, when he got aboard the Destiny... He didn't take off for the control room to take over the ship. He was startled by what was going on. He had no clue, which leads me to believe that it's more of a rush than anything else and that these aliens have no idea what the communication stones represent. 
Because yeah. if they did, it would have taken action and tried to blend in as long as it could. And that's a definite concern. When I was expecting that Young was going to spend more time on the ship after seeing the teaser, that he wasn't just going to pop back after a few seconds, uh, Act 1 starts with the alien in Young's body on the Destiny, and I thought that he might you know, try to blend in and stick around a little bit and, and gain some intel like Neva did when she found herself in Atlantis. But apparently they don't speak English. You could tell that it was not prepared for that. This does just so many cool things. It opens up so many cool possibilities for storytelling. Um, what if these aliens, by having having probed Russia's mind or whatever, basically figure out how to speak English and could do that in the future? So every time that we go to use the communication stones to try and connect with Earth, we're basically, you know, giving a quick little interrogation to whoever shows up in Young's body or whoever's using the stones to try and figure out if they're an alien or one of our people from Earth. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've got an alien, then, who can speak English and, and actually try and blend in, that that's interesting. Yeah. So, Chloe. Yes, Chloe is taken. Chloe is taken. So the good of this, I think, is that she gets something to do. Really interesting thing for her character. Something to have happened to her character. Uh, yeah, she gets The bad side of the coin is that what happens to her character is that she becomes the damsel in distress. <laughs> she needs to I didn't be rescued. Think of it that way. Especially after Rush rescued her, I loved seeing the the barefoot and wet Rush and Chloe wandering through the corridor trying to escape the ship. That was that was fun. He saw in Young's mind that Chloe was over there, and then he saw in the alien's mind that Chloe was over there. And I think he actively went after her. Yes, which is a huge bonus for Rush. He did not have to do that. He could have saved himself. He could have left and just said, "Well, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that she was over there." But he actively went after her, or managed to find her, and then let her out. Yeah, I think he scored some points, and it's it's great the way that she's sort of of explaining to the gang when they get back on board uh, how he rescued her. You know, he figured out where the shuttle was and and how to fly it, and got them out. Um, and she kind of looks at him with, with a little bit of, of thanks and admiration. I mean, this is the girl who was trying to beat the guy senseless because she blames him for her father's death at the beginning of the and season. And now they have a bit of a common bond because of a shared torture. Yeah, and she basically now owes him her life. She was she was not only captured, but she was captured and interrogated by freaky psychospace aliens. Which, you know, she's a 20-something daughter of a senator, poli-sci major, and she's been abducted by scary psychospace aliens who have her in a tank of water, probably thinking about probing who knows what, and she owes Rush big time now. And Young has redeemed himself, and that's one of the things that I was looking for in this episode, by Young admitting that uh, what he did on the planet was become a man that he could no longer respect. Yeah. And we've been waiting for a while to to hear him say that cuz you know we've we've spent these past few months lingering on the question, you know, is he now a bad dude? You know, has he crossed a line and is and what's worse is he okay with it? Mm-hmm. And he was clearly not. Mm-hmm. You see the shaving scene at the very beginning, you know, he can't get over it. Uh he did the wrong thing and he has basically admitted it now and he redeemed himself by not just leaving Rush in the tank, but by letting him out and trying his best to communicate with him. So that was really good. I agree completely. We talked about this in January when we did our SGU So Far podcast, and I said then that 
Young is my favorite character so far, but it's it's hard not to dislike him after he does that to to Russia at the end of Justice. And I loved loved seeing the fact that he was he was sick over it in this episode, the beginning of the episode, even when he's shaving, he he really seems to to be troubled by what he's done. And yep. uh, I think he does redeem himself. He gets Rush out of the tank, and they do their brain connection, and then he ends up back on the Destiny. And doesn't know what's happened to Rush, doesn't know anything about Chloe other than that she's been taken and is on board that ship. And he basically, I don't know, it seems like he gave up. He he turned around and, and ordered Eli to, to open fire with the main gun and basically give it everything they've got. And he he wants to blow that ship to hell. And I think some people have speculated that maybe that's because he saw that Rush was over there, and even though he got him out of the tank, he's basically he's maybe trying to cover his tracks because he doesn't want Rush to come back and tell the truth. He tried to get back over there, and he couldn't. He couldn't do it. He was out of options. So he said, screw it. Let's blow the ship to hell. Hmm. He had no choice. This is an active threat. Well, you got a shuttle. you got Scott trying to take the shuttle to get, to get over there. Yeah. For whatever slim chance he has of even being able yeah. to get on board. Onto a ship that it's probably very well armed and actively expecting such an attempt. Uh, I think it probably would have been futile. And then Young... That's another thing. that they just The aliens spend all this time trying to capture Chloe uh, for whatever specific reason to capture Chloe. They just took one person and then left. They didn't invade the ship. Once they had access to the inside of the ship, they didn't invade. Mm-hmm. They, took, they took the most, pardon me, useless member of the team and left. When Rush and, and she fly back, they don't worry about trying to capture them again. They just take off. Yeah. Um... That's probably more of a quibble than anything else, but you know, I mean, it's just it's, why. I mean, the the question it's it's an interesting one. Why did they do that? Yeah, um, it plays into a theory, uh, a wild and crazy theory that I'll share in a little while. But uh, it's. I wonder if it's because they're not sure how how advanced or how much of a fight we are going to put up if they mm-hmm. did actually send a bunch of people over there. To I mean, for all we know, those those ships only hold two or three people, and can't they can't really mount an invasion. But uh, if they were to to get inside the ship and try and storm it and take it, then you know what kind of a fight would we put up? I think that the biggest surprise to the aliens was that we did put up a fight. We gave it. Mm-hmm. We gave them everything we had. And they were being very intimidating and said surrender. And I think what we basically did was stood up to the bully and gave him a bloody nose. And so Mm -hmm. now they're probably playing it really careful and are not sure how to respond to us. Yeah, we're dealing with aliens and we can't be sure how they're going to react. We can't be sure that they're going to perceive us in the same way that we perceive them, despite the fact that they've downloaded Russia's knowledge. Uh, And we don't know the size or the disposition of their of their of their army if they have one mm-hmm. so you know where do they stand so it's it's a it's an interesting encounter and it's it's a very fitting encounter for a, a an entirely extraterrestrial uh race of beings yeah yeah i love the fact that it opens up so many questions and you were right as soon as rush got back he was intent on the lie of uh, of colonel young uh, rock slide. As soon as he gets back on board, he asks Greer, yeah. what, "What did he say?" or what, whatever the line was. What did he say? And and Greer says, "Rock slide," and that's what he carries. Yeah, he runs with it. His motivation for framing him for Spencer's death was that he didn't want him to be in command. Because if somebody else is in command, like 
Camille, then he's going to be able to get his way and do what he wants with things like the control chair. So now it seems like he has the opportunity to basically force Young out by telling mm-hmm. everybody, this guy left me for dead, he's horrible, he shouldn't be the leader of our, of our uh, group here. But instead he maintains the lie, and that's really interesting. And at the end of the episode, we I was a bit startled. We learned that Ray is not only apparently casting her lot in with Rush, but she seems, from that conversation that she has at the end of the episode with Rush, it seems like she was in on the frame-up in mm-hmm. Justice from the very beginning. That all she throughout Justice, complicit. she was well aware of what Rush was doing. Which makes, I mean, it kind of sheds some light on the... Uh... On the trial, the the tribunal, because mm-hmm. uh, if she was in on it, you know that that it explains why she was pushing so hard to get him uh, axed. Were you as surprised as I was that that she ended up being complicit in that from the beginning? Yeah, yeah, I was definitely not expecting that. We come off of life episode nine and have gotten this insight into who she is and her life back home, and and she's just. You know, she wants to get home to to her partner. It's lulled us into this false sense of goodness about yeah. Camille. She's built up some goodwill for her character going into justice, and so you really sort of give her the benefit of the doubt. And now we learn that there is this whole other side of her that she's just mm-hmm. kind of. I mean, she is doing what it, whatever she thinks it takes, and for some reason, she thinks that that uh, teaming up with Rush to get Young out of command is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we're presented with another song at the end of this uh, episode to kind of tie things together into a into a montage. They love their montages, mm-hmm. man. Nice little way to end the episode with a montage. Gives us uh, lots of nice little moments with characters. Uh-huh. Like great scene with Lieutenant James. James, yeah. That that Even... was that was great for for all the people out there who are criticizing her and criticizing the show for focusing on her physical attributes. I think she's becoming a very deep supporting character. And Greer looking at a picture that we can't see the other side of yet. Mm-hmm. So he's got uh, he's got a uh, connection with someone or something there. You know, I'm still waiting for them to pick a song that I actually want on my iPod. <laughs> Did uh, you like this one? Not enough to put it on my iPod, no. But it's it's the closest yet. I'll I'll give them credit for that. Mm. Uh, I just haven't liked the tunes yet. I I appreciate that they're there. I understand why they're there, and I I'm glad for them, but. No song has really caught my tapping foot yet. Mm. I like the the worst day since yesterday that yes. they ended life with. That it's was not, good. Not usually the style of music that I typically listen to, but I've actually found myself singing it since the episode <laughs> aired. But uh, yeah, they've got to come up with a reason to get some Johnny Cash or something on this show. The deterioration of, of resources is is also a theme in this episode too. You know, the, the the food supplies are are short. You know, but that's always been the case. But I mean, even socks are needing to be stitched now. Yeah, that was very nice. Eventually, things are going to break down. Personal kind of homey stuff with with Young sewing up his socks. I like that. It's time for quibbles. Why did the aliens give up when they got Chloe? When they Does got Chloe, Chloe hold a secret? Or did they just want another alien specimen? What? It seemed like they engaged in the battle for the purpose of taking a hostage. I think they actually speculated in dialogue at one point that, that the battle was a cover so that they could get in close and take somebody. Now, what they wanted to do with Chloe, that's a good question. Especially because we later find out they already had Rush. 
Mm-hmm. Did they learn something from Rush that made them want another specimen? I don't know. That's what I was wondering was did they learn enough from Rush to know that he's not trustworthy and maybe deceitful so that we need to so that we need to throw that human out and get another one? <laughs> mm. Well, he says that he was frustrating them that he was able to basically block them to a degree. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much he was just uh patting himself on the back and how much that was accurate. But yeah, get somebody in there uh, like Chloe and and she's not necessarily going to be able to to hold off the creepy aliens like he can. My first quibble is Chloe looking up into the hole when they they penetrate the the hull and you've got the bright light shining down that she walked toward the light and looked up into it. And That's... then you hear the chatter of the alien. That was a great that was a great beat, I have to say. Yeah, it was a cool little abduction beat, but you know, Chloe Okay, if we're doing a show that is more realistic, what is Chloe really going to... I think she's going to turn around and go back to her room and lock the door. She seemed a bit yeah. too inquisitive. I don't think she'll be looking up into bright holes anytime soon again. Isn't it a little convenient in the manner that the communication stones connected to the, the ship that the aliens aren't aware of the stones' function? I mean, we, we connect, and he's free to roam around. Getting back to our main discussion, I think that's really the, the answer behind it. They don't know what the stones are. Because hmm. the aliens are looking at 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 this other alien, just staring at them, and they think that there's nothing wrong with it, and they go back to work. I don't know if he was their leader that they plugged. It was probably the leader, I would think. But you never know. Yeah, if they had never actually gotten on board Destiny and were not familiar with ancient technology, then they wouldn't necessarily have any clue what that little rock does. One of my quibbles you actually brought up in the main discussion, and that's the fact that the lone shuttle that we send out there into this dogfight seems to have no problem whatsoever surviving combat with several alien fighters. My first thought was that they were deliberately not engaging it because they didn't want to destroy it. Uh, You know, if they want Destiny, then they want its technology. They want its shuttle eventually. They wouldn't want to blow it up. That's a good point. um, When I rewatched it, I looked for that, and there there are some some shots where the shuttle takes direct fire. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I don't know, the shuttle appears to have shields, and so... My only explanation for this quibble is maybe they're hinting at the fact that ancient technology is a bit superior to these aliens in the fact that the the shuttle can can have a fight like that against so many enemies and take direct fire, and its shields can can take it. And it mops the floor with all of these other ships. I mean, they're just no match for that shuttle. I didn't even know the shuttle had guns. Rush assumes that the alien doesn't know its own technology. This transmits. This receives. Put it on your head. Before it has been established that Young is inside that alien. You let me out. Now here, let me explain your own technology for you. Yeah, that alien was acting pretty weird, though. Giving sort of human hand gestures. Yeah, this is true. That's a good quibble. I like the way that they they uh, basically caught up Rush with what's been going on by giving him access to Young's brain. And then, mm-hmm. he, so he figures out what's going on that Chloe's being held, that it's Young, in the alien's body. And then when Young gets gets pulled back to the destiny, and it's the alien that he's connected to, he figures that out. Figures out that it's not Young anymore, and that he's okay strangling him. Although I'm not sure if he would have necessarily stopped if he had still <laughs> known that that was Young. But that leads into my next quibble, which is Rush is a super genius, sure. But is it a little bit too much that he is able to close his eyes and concentrate and so quickly learn how to find Chloe, how to find a ship, how to pilot it, and escape? 
Well, he was tapped into that alien's brain for a little bit, so who knows what he got. He saw Chloe in there. We saw shots of aliens operating controls. Mm -hmm. So he may have learned Chloe's location within the ship, may have downloaded kind of like the the layout of the ship in his mind. A lot factors into that. Yeah, it could just be the efficiency of that sort of a telepathic connection rather than spoken speech. Yes. It could have not just been a series of images, but a series of downloads into his mind. Yeah, which for Rush, hey, opens up lots of new things for Rush's character. What does he have in his head that he knows about and is not telling us? What Mm -hmm. does he have in his head from the aliens that that is maybe subconscious and he doesn't know about? But somewhere down the line, he's going to figure out that he's basically able to, to operate this or that alien system in a pinch. They work so hard to acquire Chloe and then they just let her go. Is there more to this story? Yeah, were there like six guys on the ship and they, they couldn't really stop Rush or, or their their shuttle bay was poorly guarded? and Yeah, we don't know how many were on that ship. It could have been, I mean, this alien race could have just sent this ship as a science expedition unit to, to track the ship. And they just are so far away from their home world that they, that they aren't prepared with the military might. They weren't expecting the destiny to be boarded. Yeah. Who knows how many millennia they've been following it. And then suddenly there's people walking around inside, and how'd they get there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you were studying this thing for quite a while, wouldn't you be a little bit envious and hateful of these creatures? That's interesting. If, if they were never able to get inside the Destiny, then that little ship that we saw leave at the end of Air Part 3, they might not have even known that we were there yet. Mm-hmm. Or it was leaving to report back that we had just arrived. I have one more quibble, but I think it's more of a question. And, you know, I I actually don't think there is a whole lot to quibble with about this episode. I think it's really well put together and really well, really consistent. Mm. Why did the alien ship leave? Did they leave because we put up a fight? Because we gave the bully a bloody nose? Uh, Did our main gun do enough to drain their shield that they were actually having trouble with this firefight and were starting to worry that that we might blow them up? Uh, Or did they let rush and chloe go on purpose for some reason and once they got them off the ship they had no reason to stick around yeah that's a very valid question so i mean you've got two guys who have been in in tanks abducted by aliens and and uh telepathically probed you've got to wonder if there is some residual there if if the aliens did something to them that is maybe going to come into play later on Ah, very good. I'm so astute. Think about the fact that Space and Divided were originally written to be the mid-season two-parter, mm-hmm. but Space does not end on a cliffhanger. Justice mm-hmm. ends on more of a cliffhanger than Space does, so it almost feels like Justice and Space are a two-parter. There is yeah. no to be continued at the end of Space. Yeah. So, I don't know, whatever you make of that. Universe seems to be very operatic. I mean, one episode often leads into the next, and you know, th- there's the ongoing story of of the destiny is one overall story. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't miss an episode with with asking yourself WTF. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that I enjoy watching it from week to week is because you, know, you can't miss a beat. And it re- like like we've said often, uh, this, this rewards you for ongoing participation in the in the show. It does, and it's one of the reasons, to be honest with you, why I fell in love with Stargate SG One was because, as opposed to, to many science fiction shows that I was watching in that era, like for example Star Trek Voyager, most of uh, of what happens on screen in Stargate SG One, you know, 
is either definitely going to have consequences and implications for the future, or it it can. Versus Voyager yeah. and other series really did really self-contained episodes. Every yeah. once in a while, you would get a continuation of something like like uh, the episode Demons, where the crew is is duplicated. In Atlantis, there was less of that. It felt it felt like if something was established, it was not necessarily going to be important that it was going to come up again. And it feels much more like that with the universe, that everything that's being established is being established for a specific reason. And if you're a crazy fan like we are, you you keep track of these things. Exactly. Here's my wild and crazy theory this week. Rush has learned more about the aliens and their agenda than he's saying. So he looked at the database on board the crashed ship before he got picked up, and then he was subject to the mind probing, and then he he got uh, got to probe the mind of the alien uh, that Young was inside of. Uh, I think that not only does he know more than he's saying, but I think he may have struck a deal with the aliens, and he could now be an agent who is working <laughs> for them. I think they let him go on purpose, and I think that maybe he gave them the idea of abducting Chloe to sort of give him a a way to get out and come back as a hero. Interesting. That's entirely possible. That's what we thought of Space, and next week we are talking about Divided. Episode 12 airs this Friday night on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. That's at 9 p.m. 8 Central. Or if you live north of the border in Canada, it airs on Space at 10 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Pacific. Nice to have Stargate shows back, you know? Isn't it? For next week's show, we want to hear what you think of Divided. That's this week's listener question. What did you think of Divided? Tune in and then call in to the Gateworld Podcast hotline sometime by, what are we still saying, Monday night to get on the show? Yeah, about Monday night. And what's that number? That number is 951-262-1647. All right, call anytime, day or night. We're talking about Divided next week on April 14th, and then on April 21st, the episode title is Faith, and then on the 28th of the month, it's Human. So that's what we've got this week. Thanks, everybody, once again, for tuning in. You can call us on the hotline. You can also email a brief audio recording if you don't want to call a U.S.-based telephone number. And you can always pop into the podcast feedback thread over at Gateworld Forum. So we'll see you next week from GateWorld. This is Darren. This is David. And you've been listening to El GateWorld Podcast. No, you will not.